0: Kyle-style podcast again. Uh, Got a a little bit of a a rough one here. You're not going to get any jiggy sound effects or anything on this one. Uh, I just want to talk about a uh, humorous and interesting little uh, uh, exchange that I was witness to on the internet uh, recently. So, as uh, most of you know, uh, the internet, of course, is... Uh, bastion of logical and rational uh, discourse there's never any fallacies or uh, ad hominem attacks and everybody utilizes the beautiful system of interconnectivity and communication that the internet is and they use it to the fullest to articulate their views, have their views challenged, and to grow and become better as a result of their uh, exchange, right? Of course, all of that is basically bullshit. The internet is a cesspool of hatred and and vileness and uh, just outright distortions and slander and mudslinging. And I happen to be privy to a certain exchange between two specific people about a specific topic. And I found it incredibly fascinating to watch because I just never thought of it this way before. Okay, That's why this episode is called... Nazi versus Holocaust denier. <laughs> Alright, so in certain parts of the internet, maybe a conversation like this would not have happened, but there are other uh, deeper recesses of the interwebs where uh, maybe completely off color, completely irrelevant, or completely conspiratorial conversations are had. Now, this particular exchange uh, took place between a stated Nazi and a stated Holocaust denier. Now, they began arguing over the legitimacy of the mainstream Holocaust narrative, okay? And by that, I mean that kind of Schindler's List narrative, the mouse narrative of Adolf Hitler rose to power, and using the Nazi ideology of, you know, sort of uh, genetics and uh, Aryanists and all that stuff were uh, able during World War II to persecute a, or prosecute a genocide against the Jews of Europe, homosexuals, uh, political dissonance, Gypsies, the mentally ill, the uh, physically deformed, and six million Jews were killed. That's what I call the uh, the Schindler's List narrative. It wasn't too long after the war, even that uh, Holocaust denial sort of started to crop up. Okay, and this is a whole ideology around the around notions of like uh, media manipulation, uh, distortions of history, and that there's this sort of agenda to um, to control and distort uh, history and the the historical narrative. In such a way that is beneficial to Jewish people specifically. Okay. Now, this particular exchange uh, went back and forth very civilly at at first, as often some some arguments often do. Right. It was oh, you're mistaken, sir, because this information shows that it's impossible to have uh, killed and disposed of this many uh, corpses, right? And then the Nazi responds, well, no, well, no, that information isn't accurate, Uh, that doesn't match what I have, and you should pay more attention to these statistics that show that, uh, you know, you can get rid of that many bodies and then they proceeded to descend into incredibly ghoulish statistics and started uh you know kind of disagreeing more and more about whether or not the mainstream holocaust narrative is accurate or not okay now the i mean the holocaust denier had a lot of uh information i don't want to call them facts but information uh pieces of data that he claimed Uh, backed up his position and the I mean okay this is why I think this is funny Okay, is because you would think that there would basically that there would be like an overlap here right Nazis presumably uh, don't like Jewish people and as this particular stated Nazi claimed you know that the Holocaust was Hitler's best work Right, it was, it was. We owe the the world owes him for his efforts there, and it was only because of the international Jewish conspiracy of Zionism or whatever that he was defeated. And then on the other side, the Holocaust denier, you have this concept that the Jews are still just trying to manipulate all of everybody and everything, and the media and history and everything. Uh, because they're crazy, uh, you know, Zionist world domination Jews that are trying to control everybody. Okay. So underneath it all, they're both very strong anti-Semites, right? And yet, they just could not get past these specific, this specific issue of whether the Holocaust narrative is true or not. And they i mean they they basically are having the same ideological platform like they have the same ideological point which is that jews are bad but because of the different the, the one is sort of lacking the 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 holocaust denier was sort of lacking these other aspects of the nazi ideology so the nazi doesn't want to back down from the what he thinks of, again, like, as Hitler's best work. He he, did, he has a, a probably a racial and ideological need for that narrative to be true, right? Otherwise, Hitler was just kind of like a loser who started a war and lost, right? If you add in that part, that satisfies that aspect of the ideology. Now, on the other hand, the Holocaust denier has to take away, he has to chip away all of these pieces from the Holocaust narrative, such that you start to claim that there never was a final solution on Hitler's part, that he he never even intended a genocide, and that all of the stuff is basically uh, a, a manipulation. Now, the... <laughs> There, okay. It was a beautiful exchange because, like I was, like I was saying, they they started off so civilly, they started off so well. I, I I was impressed. I was like, wow, this is like an actual conversation happening on the internet. You don't really see that that often. And then it just took a nosedive. From oh, but here's this information. Oh, but you haven't seen this information. To you're a fucking paid shill, aren't you? to, are you fucking retarded? You need to read this stuff, and then you would know, unless you're too inbred to know how to read, and just all your, all your best, all the best one-liners and colorful slams and put downs you can think of, and it just descended into typing in all caps and just trashing each other. Okay? Uh, but this is fascinating because you just I like it just never occurred to me that you would you would have, you know, I've heard of Holocaust deniers, and of course I've heard of Nazis. Uh being a neo Nazi, or at least a Nazi in America today, it seems like a very troublesome mindset to have. Like I'm not quite sure how you pull that one off. But uh you they, they people have these ideologies, okay? And then a Holocaust denier is basically believing in a whole bunch of basically like it's a grand conspiracy theory, right? It's this really expansive, uh, conspiracy theory about history and politics and geopolitics and economics and everything. And if you open some of the, you know, videos and things that are out there, you'll find all kinds of accusations and all kinds of history or pseudo history, you know. Okay. Um, but these these people are out there, you know? They, they're they out there, they're working jobs, they work at Best Buy and Starbucks, and they otherwise, you know, live normal lives. They're not nameless, faceless people. And they, by whatever means, they arrived at these ideologies that they have and these sets of ideas. But what, what struck me as... F- it was the moment of of uh, of insight for me was watching the exchange and kind of being like, well, this guy's making kind of making some points, and then this guy, oh, he's making some good points, and they both kind of have some evidence. And I step back and I go, wait, what? What the hell am I talking about? What? What? It like, are, do I? Do you really think they're going to convince each other? You don't get to either of these ideologies by being you know that easily convinced out of it you know you you commit to it because you have all kinds of needs or whatever that are satisfied by it um but watching them devolve into childish uh you know verbal fisticuffs brought home some of the absurdity of it of it to me which is i was thinking of a comparison or an analogy which is like um Watching two people who bl- both believe aliens have visited us, but they get in a, a punching match over what planet the aliens are from. Neither of them have actually proven to anybody that aliens have come here, but they are wholly committed to f- shedding blood over which which planet the aliens are from. Some specific detail um and or bigfoot believers where one of one of them thinks that bigfoot's just a, a ape that lives in the forest and the other one believes that he's a magical being that can teleport or turn invisible and that's why he's hard to catch right and these i mean but that's actually not even a fair comparison because nazism is real it was a real ideology it is i guess in some sense a a living ideology and then the holocaust denial i assume is just rooted in anti-semitism i mean it's it's hard to it's hard to come out with a positive view of judaism or maybe just israel or whatever with this hanging over it right but uh it It brought around a whole – it sort of turned up a whole bunch of ideas in my head, which is that on the one hand, this is an incredibly absurd conversation uh, in – I think in a lot of other online spheres – this wouldn't necessarily have even been allowed. I think you you could probably get banned or um at least restricted, maybe a temporary ban, have your posts removed from some more mainstream uh websites, right? But but I I I want them to be able to have this conversation, okay? As idiotic as I think it is based on my own understanding of history and the holocaust narrative and everything else, I think it's an absurd argument that they were having, um, and that ideologically, of course, they are both on the same page. If they could just get past these little specific details, they're both blaming evil Jews for controlling the world, right? You would think they'd be able to reach that point, but apparently not. But there's a greater sort of meta-purpose here. And it's that in some places... Um, like in, in Europe, in the EU. Uh, the EU reached a compromise with, uh, they call it, mm-hmm. Joint Action 96-443-JHA concerning action to combat racism and xenophobia. The EU wanted a unilateral decision across all member nations to outlaw Holocaust denial. They consider Holocaust denial um denying or grossly trivializing crimes of genocide, crimes against humanity and war crimes, so not just the Holocaust, the traditional holocaust, but any genocide or anything. Um and they, you know, consider it xenophobic and inciting uh racial hatred. And there are laws in countries like Australia and um in, in various countries where You can be imprisoned even for sometimes up to like three years for expressing an opinion about the official narrative of the Holocaust. Now, that's almost as absurd to me as these people's ideas, right? And I was reminded of a a talk that I listened to a a presentation by Christopher Hitchens where he quoted from... Thomas Paine, in the introduction to The Age of Reason, gave his great quote. I think it was a quote, unless I'm misunderstanding the context here. But it says, uh, I'll be very daring and summarize all three of these great gentlemen of the great tradition of especially English liberty in one go. What they say is, it's not just the right of the person who speaks to be heard— It is the right of everyone in the audience to listen and to hear. And every time you silence somebody, you make yourself a prisoner of your own action because you deny yourself the right to hear something. In other words, your own right to hear and be exposed is as much involved in all these cases as is the right of the other to voice his or her view. So, like, in short, it's like, I have the right to hear these arguments— And this assumption that it's going to immediately lead to racial bigotry and hatred is somewhat asinine and kind of offensive in its own right. And and yet, I mean, I get it. You don't want to just allow people to spread falsehoods, but at the same time how how can you determine what's a falsehood how how is people talking about aliens being real not a falsehood but we don't make that illegal cuz it's of no consequence i mean it, arguing for bad economic policy would be unethical and dangerous yet people do that all the time so you know we like i have a right to hear it you have a right to hear it and the the idea that it would be against the law to discuss any topic like to discuss any topic uh is is incredibly it's incredibly creepy and invasive because you start drawing boundaries around uh things that you can talk about and not talk about and someone whom you've never met and will never be really in your life is the person who's made this decision for you on your behalf it seems incredibly asinine to me but uh but yeah so Watching an online discussion that quickly devolved into one of the one of the more intense and childish uh insult slinging matches I've seen in a while between two people who are ideologically on the same page but hung up on small the small differences all things being equal it's it's all very small differences and I wanted to kind of call it like tilting at windmills if that's the right comparison like they just were arguing past each other about the same thing, yet the ad-homs were just flying like rain, it was just, it was, it was beautiful how colorfully they just trashed each other, now, um, I wanted to, I wanted to get into this, this topic here, because it came around the same time as the last episode where I kind of touched on Rwanda. And this idea of speech codes, like I said, is very—it's very creepy. It's kind of off-putting in my estimation. And it—we gotta—we gotta go back to Rwanda for a minute. Now, in in the the greater context of the Rwandan genocide, okay, you had you have you had Hutu majority and Tutsi minority, okay. But Hutus and Tutsis were not confined just to Rwanda. They were more of a, you know, like a tribal uh, arrangement where they were spread like uh, across the borders of the neighboring countries around Rwanda. There's like Burundi and other countries around, okay? There was violence occurring against, between Hutus and Tutsis in these surrounding countries, okay? And there was a history of imperialism where the the dutch were in control of rwanda for a long time and they favored the tutsis and my understanding is that the word hutu is is actually it sort of means like servant or like worker like per or somebody you hire something like that so that and the tutsi has a more positive connotation of being like in charge so the there's always been a little bit of a power dynamic between the two groups that they've always kind of, they've been a little, had a little rivalry. But you had uh, Kagame, uh, who's now President Kagame of Rwanda, was leading uh, Tutsi rebels in the north of Rwanda, okay? The Rwandan genocide kicked off uh, April 6th, 1994, uh, or April 7th I guess the current the then president of Rwanda his plane was shot down on approach to the airport in Rwanda and the and it was like the next morning the uh, the, the genocide was beginning okay now the narrative that Kagame has always pushed is that the hutus shot down the plane and that they then used that as an excuse to blame the tutsi's for it and then begin the genocide and with some western uh and you know european backing he led an assault from the north down south through the country and helped stop the genocide and you know this the 100 days 800,000 uh, uh tutsi's were massacred with machetes and sticks and rocks and with guns, right? And Kagame came to the rescue and saved the day. And that's sort of the official uh, narrative. You know, even the UN stood by while this was happening and Kagame is the savior of Rwanda and and the savior of the Tutsis. And he's been running the country in some estimations fairly well ever since. I mean, he's he's kind of helped industrialize the country, he's increased the wealth, but he is a de facto dictator. And he has, unfortunately, implemented, uh, at least I guess unfortunately by my perspective, he's implemented genocide denial laws. And you're like, genocide denial laws? Something like Holocaust denial laws? Ah, so this is this is relevant to this podcast. Thanks, Kyle. So he has imprisoned political enemies and others who have questioned the official narrative of the Rwandan genocide and his rise to power in the aftermath as the savior of Rwanda. And there is evidence that has been kind of uncomfortable and it's, it's kind of speculative. I haven't found something really concise, but there is evidence from people who were in his inner circle who claim to have had knowledge of him planning to shoot down the president's airplane, which is what started the entire genocide. Okay. And that his advance South to, you know, intervene in the genocide and liberate Rwanda was calculated to allow for the genocide to continue and that this was all a huge it's kind of like a chess game right it's a long-term strategy to enshrine himself in to the history of Rwanda the history of Africa and the history of at that point global politics they reenact this, uh, the the genocide and him saving the day uh, with the celebrations every year where they kind of uh, play act the genocide out and, and uh, recreate it a little bit. And then him prominently featured as the hero who saves the day, right? And so his hold on the country and his appeal in the international stage is directly related to upholding the mainstream Rwandan genocide narrative and there are people who have been imprisoned in Rwanda for disputing that narrative now this is this is exactly why um it's it's a politicization of a free speech measure or a, it's meant to curb uh, a rekindling of that genocidal fire but it's being used for political purposes and this same context Actually, gives you know uh, Jewish Nazi Jewish Holocaust survivors or Jewish Holocaust deniers a a a leg to stand on. It gives them a point. There is a politicization of history of the Holocaust narrative of the Rwandan genocide narrative, and th- it has political traction. It has it has it grew legs, and it has it's a uh, its own force in the minds of people uh it's part of the imagery of the 20th century and the horrors of mankind and films and everything else and it has a hold over the public imagination and there's a kind of uh, uh there's a kind of guilt uh that stems from it from people who didn't maybe uh put in as much effort in the beginning to save uh, those people or to uh, urge Jews to flee from Europe. And yes, you can all just come to America and you'll be safe because we didn't take the threat seriously. And now you have this weird relationship that we have with Israel and then it strains everything with the the Middle East and all this stuff and, and the Holocaust narrative is a component of that. Now... You know, I'm not in Rwanda, so what does it matter? I, can't, I can say whatever I want about President Kagame, but I'm not the only one saying it. There's CNN articles about his ties to the beginnings of the genocide and all this other stuff, and yet it is a continuation of an authoritarian practice that he's using as a dictator to manipulate history in his own way for his own purposes. Now, not to sound like a total conspiracy theorist, but let's go ahead and put the shoe on the other foot. Turkey the ottoman empire which is turkey for all intents and purposes uh was engaged in a systematic genocide of the armenian people uh armenia is a landlocked country that's just to the east of northeast of turkey there and the armenian people were systematically disarmed and men and women separated that kind of thing and this was uh in the early 1900s my understanding and Turkey has even brought before the UN a resolution making it, uh, trying to make it illegal, it's illegal inside Turkey to refer to the genocide of the Armenians as such, right? It's a, a politicization, again, of history and of speech codes. You cannot discuss the Armenian genocide as though it is real, but in Rwanda, you can't discuss the the uh, circumstances of their genocide in the wrong way or claim that it didn't happen the way that the mainstream narrative says because that is illegal and you in some cases can't talk about the Holocaust being real or not because there is a politicization of speech codes and there are reasons up and down I I get it, you know. Um, A dictator, like in Turkey, a dictator, like in Rwanda, has a very vested interest in maintaining control of the country, and, I mean, I don't know, I guess in some cases it might not even be a bad thing to have one person be in charge, and actually, and and they otherwise are a rational actor, and they're maybe good for the country in the long term, but you start building a foundation on these things, and I, I don't see a good end to it, because who gets to decide what is hate speech who gets to decide what is inciting violence who gets to decide what will possibly cause another genocide well we don't know they come out of whatever genocides come out of and they and they're going to come out of anything at any time and your speech codes aren't necessarily going to prevent it and in any if anything all it does is drive it underground which is again goes back to my point I, I'm happy that I saw a Nazi and a Holocaust denier trash each other on the internet and pony up all of the evidence that they had to show each other. And neither of them was convinced. But w- anybody watching who has any, any understanding of any history or anything, or even just took a reasonable approach to it, learned something about both of their arguments. Okay. I have a right to hear them have this discussion and them having an outlet to challenge each other. Maybe something did stick and they will remember that there's a challenging notion from the other side and that they maybe aren't 100% correct and that they need to reevaluate their values. Now, if they're not able to have that conversation they will probably just continue to believe everything they believe, as accurate or true as it is or not. And they will stew in those juices. And if you ask me, that's where a genocide comes from. It comes from the unspoken tensions. It comes from the unaddressed inaccuracies that people have. And when you make it against the law to openly discuss, I think you're asking for trouble. And at least in America, we have a certain, we have a sort of unwritten social uh, kind of aspect. You're not going to really see a lot of Nazis openly talking about Nazi ideology. You're probably not going to see a lot of Holocaust deniers talking openly about uh, Holocaust denial uh, ideology. But... There's no legal ramification for them to do that. And as strange as it is to say, that's a very good thing. Because if they're allowed to talk about that kind of inflammatory nonsense... We're all still safe to talk about all of the more irrelevant things that everybody tends to talk about. Which music album was the best this year? Uh, who wore what to the awards shows? Um, you know, wh- what do you think is going to happen in Game of Thrones? We can discuss all of these things freely because they are safe but we can also go out to the edges and we can discuss more dangerous things like whether the president's a good president, whether history is what you think it is, uh whether uh you know whether black lives matter or not. I mean we we can we can discuss all of these topics and issues freely. And when we are not allowed to, that's when resentment sets in and I think that that's dangerous. Not people forming arguments and are having a discussion and presenting facts which may make you feel uncomfortable or threatened but can be proven or disproven if you're willing to do the work because you know that you are right and you know that they're wrong you'll be able to find the information that will prove you right and again having the dialogue with people there to view it in whatever medium will lead to other people finding the truth as well. So in some sense, this battle of, of uh, maybe atrocious ideologies and the, the, the clash with the truth, the clash with history, the clash with your mainstream uh, narrative of things, the, the battle has to be fought every single time. We cannot simply sweep it under the rug and act as though we've solved the problem. Because the problem, of course, I think, is always human ignorance, human laziness, a preference for simple answers, a preference for answers that reinforce a positive feeling in ourselves, and we all are actually potentially believing in lies and nonsense when we follow that method, as opposed to open discourse and open conversation. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Kyle Style podcast. We uh we went we went deep, we went around the world here. Uh exercise your free speech, you know what I'm saying? Get out there and and say inflammatory things and and uh you know, but only say things that you mean. I mean, that's something I try to do. I try to only say things I mean, not things I don't mean. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong and I can change my mind. But it's it's like, just say things you mean, get out there and, and uh, speak your mind and don't be afraid to explore any topics that uh, maybe make you feel uncomfortable. Maybe you think it's not a safe thing to do. That's exactly where you should be looking, looking at things that make you uncomfortable because those are just things. You're just looking at them. You're reading them. They're not going to hurt you. Being in front of a hungry tiger, that's dangerous, okay? Reading insulting things even on the internet, that's actually not dangerous. So, God, I thought I was out of rent. Okay, Kyle Style Podcast, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, GoFundMe page, uh, at KStylePodcast on Twitter, Uh, share me around, uh, download me. Check out the blog. I'll have some links and everything in there <clears throat> to this all of this meandering nonsense. And uh, I look forward to talking at you again on the next episode of the Kyle Style podcast. Bye bye.